Today we're going to be looking at Psalm 130. Psalm 130. And this is what is called a song of ascent. These particular psalms were sung by worshipers as they ascended the hill on the road that led to Jerusalem where the temple was, where they were going to meet with God. And so this psalm would be read and meditated on as people were moving down the road to Jerusalem. And they were also sung and, 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 uh, and shared by the Levites, the priests of God, as they were ascending the stairs of the temple to meet with God. It's a really amazing image. And so these are kind of the thoughts that the writer of Scripture thinks would be good for us to keep in mind as we are uh, seeking God and coming to meet with him. And it occurred to me it would be such an amazing thing if we were to adopt a practice like this on the way to church. We were to take a short psalm like this and just meditate on it as we're coming into the house of worship so we could be ready to meet with God. It's a beautiful kind of picture. So we're, we're in Psalm 130, if I get my first slide up there. And this sermon is called How to Wait on God, How to Wait on God Well. And it's a testimony of trust in the Lord by someone that knows that even though they are a sinner, that the Lord hears their cry, no matter where they're crying from. And it's a prayer for mercy and also a prayer of great assurance that God is going to meet that person when they come to meet with him. And it's ultimately an assurance that if we come to God in faith, he is going to meet with us. So this is a psalm of waiting. And the four things that characterize the waiting in this psalm are crying out to God, remembering who God is, expecting God to answer, and hoping for what God will bring. So let's start. We're going to start in uh, Psalm 130, verse 1 and 2. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Interesting thing about waiting on the Lord, according to this psalm. Waiting on the Lord is not a neutral activity where you're necessarily sitting doing nothing. Part of waiting on the Lord is crying out to the Lord. Crying out to him in prayer. And if you are not actively crying out to the Lord, then you are not really waiting on him. You know, part of the waiting process is crying out to the Lord. And listen to how the author says this. Out of the depths, like I'm sunk, I'm in the deep place. I cry, I call out for help. To the name of the Lord. And Lord, hear me with attention. Listen to my voice, to my cry for mercy. You know what that, that phrase reminded me of in the beginning? Crying from the depths? It reminded me of Jonah. Remember Jonah being swallowed by the fish and then going into the depths of the sea? It says in Jonah 2, 1 and 2, From inside the fish... Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help, and you listened to my cry. I think the Bible is trying to convince us that God has pretty good hearing to the person that is contrite in heart. There's really actually nothing that can separate you from your breath reaching God except for pride. When your heart is, 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 is haughty and, and, uh, and is, is proud, yeah, God opposes the proud, but God gives grace to the humble, even from inside a fish at the bottom of the ocean. God, uh, and God is calling us to reach out to him in this deep 
uh, despair in this place of the deep. Um, and that's something that's hard to do. Because despair for us, it makes us feel like we're alone, right? Our feelings are very strong, that we're alone, that we're distant from God. But that is the moment that we need God the most. When we feel like we are in the fish, in the bottom of the ocean, without hope, running out of time. That's, that's the moment when we feel most tempted to say, you know what, God's forgotten me. I'm, I'm isolated, I'm alone, there's no hope. That's the moment that we need God the most. We need to call out to God. And if you are not actively crying out to the Lord, you're not really waiting on him. We have to consistently and carefully cry out to the Lord and not just sit there. So that's the first step. You know, when we feel most tempted to despair, to feel isolated, to feel far from God, God says, crawl out to me. There's nothing that can separate your voice from reaching my ears if your heart is humble and sincere. So that's the first part of waiting on God, calling out to him. The second part of waiting on God is um, remembering who God is as you cry out to him. Because if you're not remembering who God is as you cry out to the Lord, then you're not really waiting on him. In fact, you are just sitting in a stew of fear and the dread of your own imagination if you don't know who God is when you're crying out to him. So in this next part, we see uh, this, this image of remembering who God is as we cry from the depths. It says, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. You know what this passage reminded me of, this section? It reminded me of something we read in Exodus 34. Moses said to, to God, reveal yourself to me, reveal your name to me. And God said, as he passed in front of Moses, I am the Lord, the God, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, and maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That's God's statement of who he is. And this passage in verses 3 and 4 really reflects that Exodus 34 passage, that God does not keep a record of sins when he's forgiven somebody. If God kept a record of our sins, we wouldn't be able to stand. But God does not keep a record of sins. With God, there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve him. So as we cry out to God from the depths, as we wait on him, if we are not remembering who God is as we cry out to him, then we're not really waiting on him. We're just sitting in our own imagination as to what uh, could possibly be going on. But we learn God's name and who God is through studying his word like we have in Mission 119. And, uh, and when we know who God is, we can call out to him knowing the kind of reception we're going to get. As much like with, with the cry out to God, as we wait on him and reflect who we, on who he is, you know, we can be assured that God will reveal himself to us, that he will come to us and reach us, even in the depths of the ocean. When we as humans keep a record of wrongs, what happens with us? We start putting up walls with everybody, right? 
God's not like that. Now, when we come to God, confess our sin, and he forgives us, no walls, no walls. God doesn't keep a record of his sins, our sins. When he forgives, he forgives completely. And when you pray to God from the depths, know that if you come to him with this knowledge of who he is, his lines of communication are completely open to you, no matter how distant you might feel. Because the Lord does not hold our sins against us. It's an amazing thing. As we call out to God, we remember who he is, the God who has called himself compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, rich in love. He does not always accuse us or harbor his anger forever towards us. But he remembers how weak we are. And he meets us. We call out to him in simple faith as we wait upon him. The third piece of, of waiting on God well, if you are not expecting God to answer you as you cry out to him, then you're not really waiting on him. It's kind of a crazy thing to think that people could cry out to God without him answering at all, but yet we do it all the time. It's kind of like a religious mindset or a superstition. But God has promised that if we reach out to him, then we can trust him to answer us in some way. It says in Hebrews 11:6, without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek after him. Verse 5, I wait, I look for the Lord. My whole being waits and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. What's this saying? The person that's waiting for the Lord in this way is as sure that God is going to come through in some way at some point as someone who, is, who has stayed up all night as a watchman, as a guard, is sure that the sun is going to come up the next day. Think about uh, that picture, someone who works the night shift has been up all night, is sleep-deprived, is just dying to be done and to go home and be, and be done with his work. And he's just waiting for that glimmer of light to appear over the horizon line. This is the picture of someone who's waiting on God well. You're expecting God to, to, to reply as you cry out to him. And without the faith that he's going to do that, it's impossible to please him. Because we must at least believe that he exists we must at least believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek after him. That's not to say we're going to get the answer that we want or the way that we want it to happen, but it is to say that God hears us and that he rewards us for seeking after him. How will that look for each person? I don't know. But praying prayers, uh, uh, crying out to God, not expecting him to answer, doesn't get you very far. We have to be looking for it. Sometimes God answers, and because we don't believe that he does, we don't actually perceive what he said to us. It's a lack of faith problem. God answered us. We didn't see it because our eyes were shut to whatever answer he gave us. But with faith, think about the positive of this. With faith, it's possible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. 
You can please God by believing that he is there, who he is, and that he rewards those who seek after him. I love the repetition. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. It's that picture of waiting on God. Just waiting for that sliver of light to appear on the horizon, signifying an answer to the night, the dawn arriving. It reminds me of Psalm 63, where it says, My soul longs after you, God, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. My soul longs for you. That's the picture, like the watchman waiting for the dawn. I'm, I'm a cracked earth waiting for just the smallest amount of moisture to get sucked in to my life for the answer of God to come. So as we wait on God, first we, we cry out to the Lord, even if we don't feel like it, knowing that he hears us if we come to him in faith, remembering the kind of God that he is, that he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love, and with an expectation that God is going to answer, which will sharpen our vision to see when the answers come, even if they're not what we expect. Number four is perhaps one of the more difficult pieces of waiting on God. If your hope is really more in other things than in God, then you are not really waiting on him. This is a tough one. In James 1, 5 to 8, God essentially says, I'm not looking for lip service. I'm not looking for religion. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. If we're seeking after God, but we're not really, we're, he's kind of like, a, we're giving him lip service while really putting our hope in something else, then that's not a great posture for waiting on God. God gives generously to all without finding fault, but when you ask, you must not doubt, because such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. The, the actual translation of double-minded is two-hearted. You have your heart on God, but you have your heart also resting on something else. And this is not um, meant to be something that causes us to just feel hopeless, because all of us are going to be a little bit double-minded in our lives. But if our hope is not primarily in God, as we're praying to him, but we are actually giving him lip service and not really looking to him, we can't really expect to get an answer. If we, if we encounter a very difficult circumstance in our life and we ask God for wisdom, but we, we aren't really open to receiving whatever he's going to give us, you know, that's an unstable situation. Again, it's a time for us to not hear from God. If we're going to seek after God, then we need to seek God. We need to wait on him. And we need to hope in him. And we need to trust that God is going to answer us when we seek after him. We get this from, starting in verse 7, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love. And with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel 
from all their sins. It doesn't say, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is partial redemption, that he himself will redeem Israel from some of their sins. The full hope here is in what God can do, that God will provide full redemption, that God will redeem us from all of our sins. And if we're hoping in anything else apart from God for those types of things, then we're not really waiting and hoping in him. So as we are seeking God and waiting on him, if you are not actively crying out to the Lord, you're not really waiting on him. Waiting on God is always active and not just sitting there, not passive. If you are not remembering who God is as you cry out to the Lord, then you're not really waiting on him. You're sitting with your own imagination about who God might be and what his attitude might be. But we know who God is. He is the God who's compassionate and gracious. If you are not expecting God to answer you, then you're not really waiting on him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because the one who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek after him. And finally, if your hope is really more in other things than in God, then you're not really waiting on him. A double-minded person should not expect to receive from the Lord because they're asking for wisdom, but they're not listening to what God says. And it seems like a, like a, high, a high and difficult thing to not be double-minded, but let me ask you this. The dominant metaphor for our relationship with God is a marriage relationship, right? So would you want your partner, your spouse, to be double-minded in the marriage and have a couple different people they put their hope in besides just you? I mean, God wants us to be faithful to him and to trust him. And he wants us to be single-minded in our hope and what he provides, much like we are faithful in our marriage covenants we make here on earth. So this is a call for us to become a people who can wait on the Lord, not only in our individual lives, but really for the season of life we are going through as a church. That as a church, we would actively cry out to God, remembering his promises and who he is, standing on those promises, expecting him to answer us, and hoping in the Lord alone for his blessing as a church. I love the encouragement from Psalm 2714, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart, and wait for the Lord. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to be a people who wait on you and do not give up. I pray that for each person here, that their faith would be inspired to call out to you from the depths, even when they feel farthest from you, knowing that you, how they will be received because we know who you are, compassionate and gracious, and your posture towards those who come to you in humility. I pray that we would grow um, in our ability to wait upon you, God, even when life is confusing, and to trust you, to expect you to answer us, and to put our full hope in you and what you provide. We confess that our culture and our individual um, sinful nature causes us to not wait on you, God. We, we expect you to be done on our time schedule and to do things according to what we think is wise. And I pray that we would learn to wait upon you, God, to seek after you and to find you, to become wholehearted in our devotion to you and our hope in you, God. So won't you, God, lead us in our discipleship 
And right now, as we come into a time of worship, we yield our lives to you, God. Soften our hearts. Open our eyes. Open our ears. In Jesus' name.